Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of uh, SFP Now. Uh, joining us um, to go through the conversational segment of this show is uh, we, we welcome back Craig. Hello. And we also welcome back Raisa. Um, Hello. The, the interview that we're running a little bit later on in the show um, is with um, a new new director and writer. He's an independent filmmaker here in the UK. Uh, hails from Liverpool. It's called Christopher Butner, and he's going to be talking about... Um, a film he's you know that's just recently been released on on DVD and Blu-ray here in the UK called The Scopier Effect. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to go through some TV talk, and we're going we're going to go through some sort of TV talk, and, and and maybe do something a little bit different a little bit later on down the line. But first of all, um, Gotham, I'm sort of like. I've been enjoying it this season. Yeah, it's a big improvement from last season, although that's not really saying much. Um, last season was pretty bad, but this season's been much better. I think the focus on building this sort of corrupt, villain-ridden Gotham City is a good idea. But mm-hmm. there's no real happy ending to it. You know, it's all going to just keep getting worse, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm only really as far in as the UK viewers are, because I've not, I, I don't really download this stuff, but... I think Michael Chilkis has been a brilliant addition to the cast. Yeah, he's been great. Um, isn't the UK pretty much up to date? I thought they were. I think they. I think they will caught up by the time it starts back up in the states. What, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Or tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we probably would caught up by them because it, it, they've, they've run about six episodes so far. I think. Yeah. The the way it's going, I think it's going to be the point where Batman shows up and Jim Gordon's just kind of you know wiping his hands and it's just like, oh, don't worry. It's all dealt with. There's some mm. litter you can pick up over there. Yeah, the thing is, you know, like Bruce Wayne's a little bit too young to be Batman right now, so it'd yeah. probably be Alfred. Yeah, I was I was reading that they're bringing um, going to bring the Azrael character into it, which makes sense because they're doing the the Saint Duma story. But mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be one of those Batman style vigilantes in a show where there's no Batman. Mm, yeah, yeah, and and I I, I was wonder, thinking that. I got two episodes into the first series and decided it wasn't for me. But I would come back and watch Gotham if I saw that somebody was going to be Batman before Bruce Wayne. Like, like if if the whole point of this version of Batman is that Jim Gordon is Batman first, because I know that there's a there's an arc in the comics where he's actually Batman for a while. Yeah, it's still so, running. Mm, okay. So, so I mean, that would actually make sense. If they were actually building up Jim Gordon to become Batman for X amount of time before Bruce Wayne actually does within that continuity, it would actually start making sense. If they don't do that, it doesn't make sense. 
I hadn't actually thought of that. It'd be interesting to have sort of Jim Gordon die in the last season and then, you know, assuming he gets to run that long and then um, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne be inspired by Batman. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's the only thing that makes sense within what they are giving us. Short yeah. of that, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Personally, I wouldn't want Jim Gordon to die because he's quite an important character within the Bat Universe. Um... Maybe, yeah, but this maybe, will be the last episode, so who cares? Yeah, you know? maybe having <laughs> maybe having critically injured. Yeah, you know, lose a leg or something. Nah, lose both legs maybe, and um, mm. winds up you know being being sort of like the top half. You know, winds up having the bottom half of the Darnit replacing his legs, <laughs> so he can have a Doctor Who crossover. <laughs> you know? yeah, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, it could it could go from Commissioner Gordon to Godross. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be um, that would be jumping the shark and then jumping it again. Mm. Yeah, it's like um, or jump starting the shark. <laughs> <laughs> you probably rewrite the rules. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because that 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 jumping the shark thing comes from Happy Days. Yes. Quite literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, oh boy, um, but yeah, it's. A, I've really been enjoying this season, you know, I think the, I can't remember the name of the actor who's playing the villain, but he's, you know, he was in The Cape, oh, which yeah, was a so series that sort of like, James yeah. 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 I, really I love him. Mm. Yeah. Although and, the writing for him's a bit uneven. Sometimes he's supposed to be kind of manipulative and sinister, and other times he just seems like an idiot. I just, I just think his sister's hot in this show, you know. <laughs> you know that you know the, the approach to women in Gotham's a bit ridiculous. So you know, I mean, they just throw them in and they're like, "Look, lesbians," and mm-hmm. and then they just you know expect that to be enough when it's not. Yeah, well, I think Marvel um, does 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 women better than DC overall, to be honest. Yeah, although yeah. the. Um, the young Selena character is probably the, the most well-rounded female character in the show. I think she's, um, you know, whenever she appears, there's there's quite a lot to her. But then you've got, you know, a Barbara subplot where, you know, she's so two-dimensional, it's ridiculous. Mm, I'm, and I'm not sure if that's just completely down to the writing or if it's also in part down to the actress as well. Oh, it's entirely down to the writing, I think. It's, um, mm. you know, it's pretty consistent um, across the, the series. So, yeah, they're just not writing the women characters properly. I think it's just... It must be written by men that don't know many women, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's written by a group of um, group of 40-something virgins. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like... Um, because I think, I, think, I think most DC readers are virgins anyway. <laughs> That's probably why they need all these... That's probably why they need all these, uh, you know, women with massive cleavages and sort of like uh, very shallow storylines. Yeah, well, Marvel are guilty of that in the comics as well. True, but I think Marvel have actually improved over over over, over recent years, and certainly do women better in the TV in the TV genre than than DC are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, even though I'm not really a massive fan of of Bobby Moss and Mockingbird. No, I still I still can't believe Agent Carter's likely going to get cancelled for. That spin-off. I, I don't think yeah, Agent well, Carter's getting cancelled for that spin-off. I think Agent Carter's just tanked in the ratings. Well, they were going to make the spin-off no matter what. It would have just if Agent Carter had been successful, Marvel would have just had four shows on the air. If you include that office worker or insurance worker or whatever one. Oh yeah, powerless, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. DC are doing a similar one. Yeah, you know, um, but it's kind of we kind of moved on to Marvel mm-hmm. here. Um, um, you guys want to talk about Shield? I'm only so far in where Coulson's actually, um, 
you know, confronted his girlfriend in it about her being an agent of Hydra. And uh, it turns out she wasn't an agent of Hydra, but she was sort of like working for them um, sort of thing without actually knowing she was working for Hydra. Oh, yeah. okay. So, ooh. So I'm quite... My, a, entire, my quite... entire conversation was going to be a massive spoiler. Um, well, well, just go go right with it. I mean, I don't care because, you know... Uh, yeah, she ends up dead. Good. And, and, <laughs> See, I, think, uh, I think killing her off is a huge waste. I mean, she was she was such a good foil for Coulson. And she, such a... she was excellent. I actually I actually wanted her to become Mrs. Coulson. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, they could, both could have been... They could have led up the, you know, the new Shield in effect. The two of them. Yes, yes, and I, I think, I think Shield would have been stronger for that if they had come yeah. that, frankly. Um, well, that's where they were. It seemed like they were heading. You know, it seemed like they were going to legitimize Shield again by making them trusted by the government and, you know, build them into the the system again. Mm. Yeah. What's what's really what's really kind of worrying to me is if you've read the loglines for the proposed uh, spinoff with Mockingbird and and what's his name in it. Uh, it sounds like they're separated from Shield for reasons of they're on the they're on the lamb and things have gone south. So either yeah. things so some so either, going to run away later later in the season, I guess. Um, yeah, so I'm, sure. I, I yeah, I'm I'm kind of hesitant about that because I'm I'm kind of over the you know little guys against the uh, behemoth your secret government shit thing. You know, I'm kind of yeah. over that, those kind of storylines. I love that sort of story, guy. Although that could yeah. be um, that could be a just the background, because you know, a Mockingbird show on its own could be could be really good because she's that good a character. It's true, true. And the, and the thing is, I feel like they they had to offer uh, Adrian Palicki her own show because she is quite a big star. Like she's been in a few big films, and you know, she's almost led her own TV shows more than once. Mm. So it's yeah. one of those. If we hang on, in order to hang on to her, we need to give her something. Yeah, you know, that's not just part of this group. Yeah, I mean, the Wonder Woman show that, you know, she, she, she did the uh, pilot was an unmitigated disaster. Oh, it was and, awful. You know, about the only... Oh. Yeah, that was dreadful, though. <laughs> about the only good thing about it was, was, was her general performance, although they, 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 they sort of just reimagined Wonder Woman um, way, way, way too much. They were just too clever for their own goods and had like too much deconstruction going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, just... the, the interesting thing is that I mean, they essentially have done the same thing with Supergirl now, but that's working a lot better. Well, Supergirl, Supergirl actually reminds me of Lois and Clark in quite a, quite a few ways because um, the, the office know, side of things does. Yeah. yeah, but it's not just then, the office side of things; it's Mr. Flockhart side of things. Yeah. She she kind of reminds me of a female version. Of the uh, newspaper editor in in yeah. in in Lois and Clark. Except she doesn't talk about Elvis at all. Mm, yeah, well, there is that. I mean, that you know, that that actually did get on my nerves about that character <laughs> in Lois and Clark. Um, the superhero stuff is much more reminiscent of, say, the Flash. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Or you know, so it's kind of um, I'm kind of interested in seeing where Matt. Agents of Shield goes, although it's sort of like it's not really appointment TV for me anymore. Well, I think um, there's there's quite a lot of ways it can go at the moment. Um, the whole the whole idea of Hydra being this cult that were built up worshipping this you know being was was kind of something I had trouble with at first. But then I, I kind of thought that different parts of Hydra don't have a connection to that, so maybe the Red Skull knew about it but actively rejected it. Because he was after, he was was after power of his own, but he didn't. He wasn't going to use the Tesseract to bring that being back, for instance. What's interesting is an article just came out where they said the the creature uh, from the planet is actually um, their version of Hive. 
Yeah, I saw that in an article heading that I couldn't avoid, which really annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Angle they, they are they are riffing off of an idea that was connected to Hydra. They're just doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, the way they've set up Hydra in the show, you know, the idea was, well, in the films, I suppose, the Red Skull started it and then it became sort of his cult. But I'm kind of on board with the idea that he went his own way after rejecting what Hydra was supposed to stand for because he didn't want to he wouldn't want to worship someone he'd want to be the power you know yeah yeah that makes sense so that kind of yeah it makes sense from his point of view because otherwise his plan could be let's use the Tesseract and bring this thing through and um, that wasn't his plan at all no no. yeah I mean I I can't remember what his plan was It was make weapons and rule the world, or destroy the world and rebuild it from nothing. Yeah, and create super soldiers. That's the about that, I don't think. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going an interesting way. I mean, I've quite enjoyed the fact that they're, that, they're, that they're saying Hydra goes way back to before the Red Skull and stuff like that, like you guys have said. But what I, what I kind of enjoyed is the, is the whole, whole way that was discovered with the logo on, yeah. on the side of the astronaut's patch. Yeah, yes. it's um, it's starting to become a bit Wolfram and Hart, though, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it is. It is. You know, it's kind of this dimension transcendent organization that, that means more than the, what we think it is. It's a, pretty much the same thing, actually. Well, the same people wrote it, so yeah. Well, I mean, sort of. A little yeah. bit angel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Joss Whedon's brother enjoys Joss Whedon shows and is trying to sort of rip them off, but not quite as you know, not quite as slickly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, moving moving things along, uh, we'll move over to uh, Once Upon a Time. Right, that's it, we talked about Once Upon a Time, now let's move on to something else. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say they're, they're going to Hades, and we're going to meet the Disney version of Hades, and he's going to have blue fiery hair, I swear to God, he's actually going to have blue fiery hair. Um... Why, why, did, why did they need to give him blue fiery hair and hire an act? Why not just get Donald Trump? Oh. <laughs> well, I think he's busy. Oh, yeah, there is that, uh, you know. Well. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that they at least attempt to do something vaguely interesting because I actually thought Disney's Hercules was shit. <laughs> I um, love Disney's Hercules. It's the best film ever. <laughs> Because I haven't watched Once Upon a Time, but you know I've seen the odd screenshot here and there. It seems like it looks like the CGI is pretty pretty crappy, even by TV standards. It's so it's, it's, it's it's ropey, and 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 I I could actually live with that. You know, having grown up watching you know classic Doctor Who, I don't care if the sets are cardboard. My big issue is the scripts are are just, they're uneven at best. Um, and, yeah. and the problem and the problem is they're they're just enough glimmers of hope. Yeah, the, the impression I get is they're trying to pander to everyone, really, because, you know, they brought in Frozen pretty pretty recently, didn't they? Yes, yeah. yeah. Now that's season three. Yeah. Um, yeah recently, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know. I, I just catch little glimpses of it here and there. Yeah. yeah the, 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 their best characters, one of their best characters is Cruella de Vil. She was awesome. You know, because they, you know, Cruella Deville in 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 the CV series, she's actually a witch. Mm-hmm. She's not she's not just a an evil um, woman that wants to kill a hundred one Dalmatians to make a new fur coat. She's a yeah. witch and a murderess. Yes. Yeah. Um. So you know, they, so they, they do do some good things, but the the, the trouble is, it's um, it's a little bit soap opery. Oh, it's ABC. I mean, these are the same people who do Scandal and, and uh, how to get away with murder and shows like that. So, 
Although isn't Emma Stone going to be playing Cruella de Vil in the film? Or no, she's that, talking oh, Emma Stone, um, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if she was actually cast. I just remember they were chat, uh, reading chat about it. I mean, I'd yeah. love to see her doing that. I think she could really just sort of cut loose and, and sink her teeth into it. Mm. Yeah, I think we I mean, look it up. I know she's cast for a Disney movie, I just don't remember. She'd be kind of young for a Cruella de Vil, though, wouldn't she? It's like a, you know, it's Maleficent-style origin story. Uh-huh. Because everything needs an origin story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I suppose Disney yeah, have run out of yeah, fairy tales now, so they're going to have to do origin stories. Yeah. Although the new Jungle Book looks amazing. Yeah, that one I'll see. That one I plan to see. Um, th- that helps me segue right into our discussion of 80 shows that should be redone. Cause looking at Once Upon a Time and the issues with Once Upon a Time, I think I would have preferred if they had just done a new version of Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater. Hmm. Um, where they were, Shelley Duvall, for those who don't know, back in the days of Proto Cable, back when HBO was just about the only thing there was, uh, had a vanity project called Fairy Tale Theater. And she got big name actors to basically help her. She got called in all of her markers and got all of her Hollywood friends to come in and tell versions of classic fairy tales. And it was one of those deals where uh, Sleeping Beauty was Bernadette Peters, and she actually got to sing a song. And, uh, and the prince was played by Christopher Reeve, and the good fairy was played by um, Carol Kane, and the wicked fairy was played by uh, Beverly D'Angelo. And I mean, they had some it was pretty heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the version of Puss in Boots was basically a, an excuse to give all the black actors something to do because Puss in Boots took took place in in the Harlem of kingdoms. Mm. And uh, and it was really really well done. I highly recommend it. Sounds and, a bit like the Twilight Zone, but for fairy tales. It is, and they and they more or less stuck to the fairy tales as written, with some you know with some nods here and there. In fact, to you know like like the their version of the original mermaid starred Pam Dauber as the mermaid, and it had the original ending, which was not a happy ending. Yeah. And um, it was really well done. And I and looking at Once Upon a Time, I would actually prefer it if they had just done an updated version of of uh, Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater. I think that a lot of people would have actually just preferred that to mm. what we're actually being given. Um, yeah, and that, that, that'd be interesting. Or, or maybe just done a remake of Tenth Kingdom. Or, or that, or, or, or just gotten the uh, the the Henson Company um, back just shortly before Jim Henson died. May he rest. His last project was Jim Henson Storytellers. And it was literally the Jim Henson Company doing doing fairy tales. And they did two series of this. The first series starred John Hurt as the storyteller. And the second series was Storytellers Greek Myths. After Jim Henson died, it wasn't quite as effective, but it was it was still well done. And it had uh, Michael Gambone as the storyteller. And they were filmed in England so that you had... You had uh, episodes starring Sean Bean, an episode starring Derek Jacobi, and just really awesome, you know, variations. And the and the um, the screenplays were done by um, Mengele. Um, Mengele, his name his name was the same one who did. Uh, he, Anthony Mengele did the mm-hmm. story, the um, screenplays for them. And they're all filmed in picturesque Surrey in Essex. (laughs) Actually, it looks like some of them might have been. Um, But they were were really well done. And and if if the Henson Company had just continued doing those from like 89 on, I would have been a very happy person. Mm -hmm. Um, But but Once Upon a Time is is uneven. Once Upon a Time is basically the fantasy version of Heroes. It's got a lot of the same structural problems that Heroes has. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And uh, with, the, with, the cast that, with the cast, it doesn't deserve that 
knocks the scripts out of the park so much that you end up watching it just to watch the performance level stuff. Yeah, the casting on it is absolutely brilliant. Um, in fact, the weak link really in that cast is the actual star. Yeah. Um, what What's the, her name? Um, yeah. Zoe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she played Zoe in How I Met Your Mother. That's how I remember. Mm. Yeah. yeah, she's actually a good actor. She's just not as good as some of the other people around her. Yeah, I mean, so you, sort of, you can sort of notice it. Yeah. You know, well, I watched the first handful of episodes, and you had uh, Robert Carlyle playing like a leprechaun and stuff. It was well, he's playing Robert Yeah, but yeah, you know, Robert Carlyle's bringing it in it, but um, also bringing it in it is a uh, is it Nana Perina? Nana Perina. Nana Perina. She's. Um, She's one of the lost alumni that they brought over, mm-hmm. and she and Carlisle, there are large chunks of the storylines that she and Carlisle basically carry between them, mm-hmm. and, um, and and she's the closest to Carlisle in terms of operating at his level, mm-hmm. and she's she's very, very good. I mean, I thought the guy that they killed off uh, mid-season this year, Hook, thought he was good. He's, he's good. I've seen him in other things, and he's... He's not quite at Carlisle's level, um, but he's he's close to Perea's level, and I've seen him in other things, and he's not quite dead, because one of the things they're doing is they're going to bring go, go to Hades to get him back. The town segments of Once Upon a Time, when I did watch it, reminded me of Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. This kind of weird town where everyone acts weird. Yeah. <laughs> I never got... I never ringing night Twin Peaks. It's kind of of its time, so... Mm. I mean, I've watched it and I didn't really get into it, but I think if you were at the time and you were wondering what was going on and what was all, what was happening, then, you know, it's probably... I think that's what it was kind of designed for. Yeah, I didn't really think much of it, of it you know, during its time when it was actually on. The problem with Twin Peaks is they only planned season one. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they got through season one, as soon as they got through what was planned, they went to hell in a handbasket. That, that happened to a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Once Upon a Time. Uh, that's what happened to Heroes. Um, they 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 were fine the first season, but after that, they didn't think it through. Well, Heroes was starting started off with the intention of being an anthology, so season two would just be a bunch of different characters, mm. you know. But maybe with a little bit of crossover. But the problem is everyone liked the characters so much that they thought, "Hey, let's have another three seasons of these." Yeah. And then it was, like, "Oh no, let's not have another three seasons of these." Yeah. yeah. And then the. The Heroes reboot was everything that was wrong with the series. It's like Crane literally learned nothing in the intervening yeah. six years. Although it was weird. I watched the first, you know, when I watched the opening two hours, I was like, all right, cool. This is on track. You know, I'm interested. I'm, I'm on board here. I like the new characters. And then it didn't take long for it to be an absolute slog to sit through week on week. Mm-hmm. Until by the end, I was like, I, I really hope they incinerate the earth. I want all these people to die. <laughs> That'd be a good ending, you know. It's never coming back. The Earth has been considering. Yeah, that 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 would be a good ending. <laughs> um, but then again, you know, being American television, they'll find a way to bring the Earth back. No, well, they didn't. Tim Kring say that you know, Heroes Reborn is over, but there are other sagas of nipple in the making. It's like no, no, no more. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's a bit like J. Michael Straczynski and Babylon Five. Yeah, you've uh, you've, and, you've ran out of your lifetime yeah. allotment of chances to bring this show back. Like mm-hmm. that's say. Uh, you know, let's get season two of Firefly instead because you know yeah. that's worth making. Yeah, um, but you know, get that—that's actually one show that you know we we could talk about in this segment about shows that you know should be brought back and given a second chance. Firefly, definitely. I think yes. Firefly, that ship has sailed though. I think you know it wouldn't work now. The cast have aged; they've all moved on. Mm. You know, it can kind of live in this bubble of quality that you know everyone can remember by wanting more. But it'd be one of those, you know. 
when it's on season seven and they've introduced aliens, that that'll be um you know, that would have been when, when people were like, Yeah, let's get rid of this. Yeah. Maybe. That's the problem they have with X Files. I just we just finished watching the X Files reboot and it was uneven at best. Yeah, I'm recording it right now as we speak because uh, we're up to episode was it four, five? Is it over already? Yeah, there was only six episodes. Oh, right. And they okay. end up and they end on a cliffhanger. So. Mm. Yeah. We're coming back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's 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 actually a couple of shows that predate the X Files that I think should be given um, given another shot. Uh, one you could actually say kind of became the inspiration for Snyder's in so many ways, in terms of um, it was about parallel universes. And, uh, and that was Fantastic Journey, which um, if you watch it now, it's quite trippy. You know, mm. you, you need you need to be taking Class A drugs to watch it now and actually get it. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's um, you know, Ike Eisenman was in it. He, he was in a lot of stuff back then. You know, he was also in Escape to Witch Mountain, played Scotty's nephew in Star Trek 2. Um, and he was going at one of the main stars of it. And I forget the name of the actor. He, he, he wound up in Dallas after doing Fantastic Journey. Uh, but you also had Roddy McDowell as a series regular as well. And so it didn't have any shortage of um, of strong acting. Um, it's just that the, you know, it, it was kind of, I think it was kind of ahead of its time mm. in, in so many ways. Um, although the writing, again, was uneven. Yeah, pe- people said that about, like, I mean, retroactively, they said that about the Ronald D. Moore show Carnival. Like, they said that if it had been made five years later, it would have been a massive hit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually watch it, but the, um, from what I heard of it, it wasn't for me. But, I, you know, it seemed like when I was reading about it, I was like, no, oh, this would work now. Well, I wonder why it didn't. Have, well, it didn't at the time, I guess, because people weren't ready for it. There there are so many shows. I, I, I you know, I, I like to think I'm up on these things, but every so often I still stumble across one I haven't seen or haven't heard of. Yeah, there's all sorts of these ones. Um, there was a DC one that I came across recently called Birds of Prey, and it was, it, well, it was terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I, I watched it at the time. Um, primarily because I wanted to see how they were going to handle Barbara Gordon, you know, being in a wheelchair myself, and um, I didn't, I didn't like it. Mm. I, th- I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was very um, useful th- for them to try, but they still haven't quite got there yeah. in terms, in terms of that story and and, and those stories. So. Yeah, it's also trying to establish these kind of superheroes without the famous superheroes they're associated with. That's a problem with Supergirl. A massive problem with Supergirl. Sort of. I mean, Superman's still kicking about, you know, and he's sort of um, he's sort of in the background and doesn't really do anything. But, um, mm. but at least he's there, you know. He's there, but you expect to see him, you know. Yeah, I think we will one day. We saw the young Kal-El in a, you know, in a dream sequence, so to speak. But he'll probably, probably be Superboy. Yeah. That'll probably I think if um, I, th- I think if they introduced him now, it'd be like, well, we can't do that later, you know. So mm-hmm. I think they'll need to br- wait till they really need him. Mm-hmm. Um, it should last that long. <laughs> well, it'll get a season two, I think, because the ratings are really good. It seems, and it keeps rising week on week. So yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think a season two will be a problem. I'd like to see it get a season two, but the problem is they've done quite a lot of sort of season two or three stuff in this season. You know the. For the girl who has everything and, and episodes like that. Yeah, they should have they should have waited on that. Yeah. But they did a lot of that in the Flash too. They they front loaded a lot of the Flash storylines. Yeah, but in the case of Flash, it's because they have so many ideas that they can't wait to get to. You know, so they're they're getting they're dealing with the other ones. Yeah. So uh, you know, so you've you know they did the whole time travel thing, season one, season two is parallel universes, and and that's only the start of the weirdness. Yeah. yeah. You, did, you didn't hear the uh, show the other week, didn't you, Craig, and was talking about Arrow. 
Uh, no, I never had the chance to listen to it. Yet. Well, basically, I said if Arrow was to if they were to do a musical episode about with Arrow, it'd all centre around Felicity Smoke, yeah? <laughs> and um, and Oliver would be singing "Bicycle, Bicycle." <laughs> oh jeez! <laughs> oh, I created a monster. I know we weren't going to discuss DC, but I do want to bring up the fact that um, uh, Laura Vandervoort played. Uh, Kara, Supergirl on um, Smallville. Uh, Smallville uh, yeah. is going to be playing. Oh Lord, I just had a, a brain spasm. Indigo. Indigo on yeah. tonight's episode of uh, in yeah. tonight's episode of Supergirl. I saw a picture of that. She looks like Discount Mystique, which is weird. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's good though. She was a she was a good Kara. I think him. Um, I, I would rather she was on playing a Kryptonian. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, kind of everything, I suppose. I, I think I think she's probably only playing Indigo because it's maybe a one-shot gig or maybe a recurring. No, gig apparently she's it, recurring. It's recurring. Mm. Yeah. Well, it probably won't recur too much because she's busy with Bitten. Uh, yeah. Not for much longer. Has it been cancelled? Has it? Yeah, I think they're they're getting to tell the end of the story. So yeah, cool. You know, yeah. Uh, in the same way that Continuum got six episodes to finish off the story. Mm. But yeah, we're cancelling it. But, you know, I'd kind of given cancel. up on. I kind of given up on continuing by that point. I, I loved it. I think. Um, I think the ending was just all right. But I really liked how they did time travel and mm. and how they kept you guessing about the rules. Mm. Yeah, I kind of got fed up of being having to guess about the rules. So <laughs> <I just laughs> left it. Um, Plus, I think um, Rachel Nichols would be the perfect Captain Marvel as well. Mm, a little bit petite, maybe. She's about the right age. I'd say she's about the right build because she doesn't have to be, you know, well built because her power is kind of cosmic, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, another show I was going to bring up uh, very quickly was um, called Manimal. Yes, I want to see that one done so badly. Um, um, because it was really done badly the first time. <laughs> well, <laughs> considering considering the budget they had, they did about as well as they could. Mm. Um, but they missed a lot of opportunities because he could tr- transform into any animal he wanted, and we only actually saw three, like a, a hawk, a panther, and a snake, I think, were the only three we actually saw. Mm. And uh, I, I just really appreciate the fact that the, the animals were, in fact, animals. Uh, they got animals to play the hawk, the panther, and the snake. Um, because I'm, I'm the audience for you know that kind of that kind of, of narrative, and I'm I'm the, I'm the kind of the kind of genre fan who likes werewolves who turn into werewolves. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. Mm. Um, but yeah, Manimal could truly benefit, especially when you have you know J.K. Rowling in the wake of J.K. Rowling, she had a whole subclass of of witch and wizard who could transform into animals, and they were called animages. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Manimal could actually be updated in the wake of, of, of Harry Potter and, and, and like narratives and actually have a context now that they didn't have at the time. Yeah. Although would a show like that be able to stand up to sort of nerd scrutiny these days? You know, could you imagine forums lit up every week with, why didn't he just turn into a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I loved about Manimal is because I, I don't know if you know this about me, but one of the reasons why I love the Big Finish review gig is because I listen to a fair amount of um, old school uh, radio shows. Um, it's a hobby of mine. And Manimal was structured like an old school uh, radio show. You had, the, you had um, the, the man about town who went to the Mystic Orient who has you know, more, more money than sense who's decided he's going to be a criminologist. 
and uh, and and it had that old school poppy feel to it that I really, really, really enjoyed. Mm. The the problem was though was really in the execution. I mean, Simon Carkindale Cork, was brilliant for it. Yeah, uh, Simon yeah. Bird to bring him back because he's dead now, but. Um, yeah. He was bringing it for it. The weak link, really, for me was, um, was the girlfriend. Was the girlfriend, um, yeah. and you know, it kind of explains a lot because she played Dale Arden in the 1980s Flash Garden movie. And yeah, was, and, and, and in other words, made, and made her career on uh, on things like Young and the Restless. Yeah, yeah, be, so. being pathetic, being the pathetic damsel. Yeah, um, but she she was kind of like the weak link. Um, and also with it being a procedural as well, I mean, sort of like, um, yeah, you could exploit the, the, the fact that you could change into any animal uh, to, he- to help with cases and stuff like that. But, you know, um, I think I think if it was to, if, if they were to bring it back now, they'd probably have to bring it back as some sort of a bizarre sort of like government science experiment or something. Although the, it sounds like if they brought it back now, they would just turn it into another one of these boring procedurals, you know. It'd be like Lucifer, but the guy can turn into animals. I was thinking you know? the same thing. <laughs> and um, that, that's what's kind of annoying. It's like, okay, we'll adapt this, or we'll have this interesting concept, but we'll just have them solve crimes every week. Mm. And, you know, well, that song, it, that song it really was back in the 70s, you know, in the 80s, the 80s when it came 80s, out. But, yeah, but, yeah. but at that particular point in time, it was quite fresh. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's certainly because they're not, not they've not done it before. But, you know, with, 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 with you know, procedurals now, it's sort of like... Uh, Everything has to be procedural somehow now. Yeah, it kind of bothers me. But the, the, the only one I'm actually really on board with is iZombie because everything they've got outside of the crime or the murder every week is is much more interesting and it captivates, you know. But with Lucifer, the, cr- the crime's boring and the stuff outside the crime is boring. The only, the only interesting stuff with Lucifer is Tom Ellis. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I'm getting sick of him already because there's nothing to him, you know, the... I actually think D.B. Woodside's character is the most interesting in the show. Mm, I, I like Maze, but, you know... Did... She's pretty flat, though. Like, there's nothing to her either. Mm, I don't know. I mean, so, like, when when she's sharing the screen with D.B. Woodside, there's quite a lot going on there between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, it's implied that there's depth to her, but it hasn't really showed us yet. And um, But, yeah, the D.B. Woodside character, I, I feel like if they put him in the lead and made the show about that version of Lucifer, it might be more interesting. Yeah. It's also quite frustrating as well uh, with with regard to Maze because uh, the the actress playing her is absolutely a really really solid strong actress. She's on like she was in she she was in a uh, Spartacus. Mm. Yeah. And um, you know she was also she also played a brilliant role in um, in 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 the first season of um, the Librarians. The Librarians. Yeah. Um, she played played one of the villains in the first season of the Librarians. Yeah, I've not really seen her anywhere, so I'm not seeing the fact that she's a great actress. It's just, you know, she's just this kind of sultry, demonic presence, and that's all there is to her. Well, that's 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 down to the writers, then. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. But she's not given any chance to kind of... She's not given any material to elevate, really. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so I can. I'm continuing to watch uh, watch Lucifer in the hopes that it might just get better. Yeah, know? me too. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it one season, and you know, because we may as well give it one season because we're probably halfway through it already. Chances are, it won't get more than one season. I can't see it getting another season, to be honest. If it does, I'll be shocked. Yeah. I mean, maybe in another twenty-five years' time, we'll be we'll be talking about. Hey, you remember that show, Lucifer? Maybe they should bring it back and reimagine it. Yeah, talk <laughs> about yeah. 
talking about bringing it back and uh, being more faithful to the source material this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. by then it'll be on its fifth reboot. You know, it'll be in the middle of a TV show, another film, another TV show. You know. Yeah. But by, by by then they they probably would have uh, cloned Keanu Reeves and had him play Lucifer. Yeah. Oh God. It's um, sort of on the subject of dead TV shows that kind of should come back, and this one wasn't bad at all, but. The American remake of The Tomorrow People from two years ago? Yeah, I, I quite got into that, and I was actually surprised, because I was a, I was a pretty big fan of the uh, of the originals. I wasn't really familiar with the original. Uh, I knew it existed, but beyond mm. that, I didn't know much. But I thought it was really well done. You know, the characters are all really good. It was. I mean, the, the original, there was actually, uh, they, did, they, they did the original, and then they did a continuation of the original in the 1990s. Yeah. With, and then with, the, with the Australian actor, thing. but guess who? Guess who was in the? Uh, guess who was in the nineteen nineties reboot as one of the one of the regular cast members? Who? Only Naomi Harris, who plays huh. Moneypenny in the Bond films. Oh well, you know, small uh, beginnings. So that that's sort of like her, her her beginnings. You can trace back to to the nineties uh, uh, continuation tomorrow people. And yeah. I, think, I think the other actor in it, I can't remember his name, but he played Todd in Neighbours, and you know he quite, <laughs> had quite a bit of heat from that, mm. and came over to over to England and did the Tomorrow People, and it flopped. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only um, the only thing that annoyed me about the recent one was, you know, I mean, the the whole high school thing, like high school stories. You know, I, I can take or leave them at the moment, but the idea that, you know, for the first couple of episodes he was going to school and stuff like that, and then eventually it was all this intense drama, and then it would remind you that he's actually high school age, and I'm like, oh, no, no. I was happy with him being an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, university, if they put him at university, it would have all, all the problems would have been fixed. Yeah, or, or they, could have done, they could have done with what you done with him, what they did with Nash Garden. Just said that he played Pongo, went to Harvard and stuff like that. And um, you know, not not the Flash Gordon TV show. I'm assuming. No, the original Flash Gordon comic books. Because <laughs> the TV show was awful. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we'll forget about the TV show completely. I'm not going to bring that up um, <laughs> because I, I actually I actually reviewed the TV show and my reviews of it um, they're no longer online, but they were <laughs> they were pretty flipping comical. Yeah. Because I was I was having a go at him for living with his mum. I mean, since <laughs> I when does Flash Gordon live with his bloody mum? <laughs> I watched the I watched the pilot and I was like, what is this? <laughs> and 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 Ming the merciless with hair. Yeah. Although there was one funny bit in the pilot. It was uh, this assassin or whatever she was. She was trying to go through a portal and she missed and then tripped and fell. I thought that was quite funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it feels like it was something that the actress did by accident and they thought, hey, we'll just leave this. Yeah. In. The interesting thing was though about that TV series is um, they actually had portals in the um, in the Angus Raymond Flash Garden comics. <laughs> Back in the thirties, um, so, so you know they they had figured out how to travel between Mongo and Earth via portal sort of thing in the comics. Mm. Although initially, they, they, the 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 way that Flash Gordon gets to Mongo is via via the spaceship that Zarkov builds sort of thing. But mm. you know, a bit later on in the comic book storyline, they they came up with portals. Mm. And I think um, the TV show used them because it was convenient to uh, to film on the the cheap. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you know it's um, that that that's that's one one TV series they should definitely not bring back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's not do that. Yeah, if they're gonna do Flash Gordon TV series, do it properly. Have spaceships. Have have a bald thunder as Ming that can act. <laughs> 
And um, yeah. I mean, the only person that's not supposed to be able to act really in Flash Gordon is a guy that plays Flash Gordon. Mm. Um, they, they had that covered. Yeah, they, they they kind of had that covered. <laughs> yeah, Tomorrow People, good show, and it had Mark Pellegrino in an amazing villain role. Mm-hmm. Well, sympathetic villain role. Yeah, based on based on his performance as uh, as Damian Dark, I would love to see Neil McDonough as as Magna Merciless. I think that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Neil McDermott probably work, um, you know. But again, they'd have to take his hair off. Mm, I, want yes. to, I want to see a Howling Commandos miniseries. Yeah, that would be so fun. But but set back in the foot, set back in the forties. Yes. Well, I mean, they could just you know instead of doing Agent Carter, they could have Howling Commandos and have her in it. Yes. Yeah. That that's what that's perhaps what they should have done in the first place, really. No, I think. Um, I think a female-led show was a good thing to try, and uh, you know, Howling Commandos would have just been another male-led show with a female character. Okay, well, um, I think uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, I we did sort of like talk about uh, talking about Deadpool, but I think we'll leave that for another show. Okay. Um, yeah. So we'll probably leave that to the next show, really, because I'm hoping that we will have a, have a guest uh, on that show that was in Deadpool. Um, because we we've actually been working on getting, you know, um, I won't lie, but there's there's potential for us to get hold of Bob, mm. <laughs> and um, I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, with the memes at the moment involving Bob. Oh yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, <laughs> well we, we <laughs> well we might be able to get hold of the uh, hold, hold of the actor that played him. Nice. Um, so like, um, but it's kind of like uh, scheduling. That's the only that's the only thing that's getting in the way at the moment is mm. is the scheduling of it. And so. of course, uh, Batman versus Superman will be out soon. Uh huh. Um, I'm renting that one. That'll be worth talking about, perhaps. I'm renting it. I'm not going to go see it. I'm not in the mood. I I don't know whether I'm going to go see it or not yet. I'll be going to a midnight screening if there is one. Mm. It's so like, um, I, I, I'm i still feeling burnt from Man of Steel. I am too, <laughs> very much. Mm-hmm. So, it's so like, it's one of those that I'm, that I'm neither here or there about. Um, but uh, I'm just interested to see how much of a mess it's going to turn out, because I've never heard of a film that has so many characters in it trying to set up everything at once. Mm. I'd be, I'd be interested to see Gail Gadot running around in her Wonder Woman suit, and that that'd be about it. But I can do that yeah. on the small screen. Yeah, I was in a, I was in London the other week for work, and uh, so I went down a day early just to wander about. And uh, in Trafalgar Square, uh, they were filming Wonder Woman. Cool. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah, it was like a World War One uh, victory celebration. Uh, so they're, they're actually filming the Wonder Woman movie, or, or yes. They? Yeah. It spans decades, apparently. I think most of it's set in, like, the, the 20s or something. Hmm. That'd be an interesting take, because I've not done the 20s before. Yeah, because, like, Chris Pine is, like, period Steve Trevor, I guess. Mm. You know what? Chris Pine just doesn't strike me as a Steve Trevor type. He's too much of a smartass. I think um, he can play differently. I mean, mm. I haven't seen it yet, but he can. I'm sure he can. Yeah. It's just so, like, um, you know, it's kind of, like, hard to... Um, but that said, the only the only person I've seen see, play Steve Trevor is a guy that played it in the Wonder Woman TV well, series. Well, Lyle Wagner. Lyle yes. Wagner. Yeah. Um, or there was uh, Nathan Fillion in the animated one. I actually like that animated movie very much. Oh, see if they made that into a film, like a live <laughs> yeah. action film, it'd be fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would do. That's the that's the Wonder Woman <clears throat> film they should make. Yeah, I think I think the one that will exist will be a lot darker and gloomier though. Yeah, yeah. because they've they've got to make everything like Batman. Yeah. 
And we're going to, you know, we're going to see a really dark and gloomy flash in a few years as well. Yeah, but that would kind of work. No, it wouldn't. It would if they kept the flash um, as he is now in the in the in the TV series. If they, if they kept him as as a as a smart ass kid. Yeah, but he might just be, you know, torn and conflicted mm. because everybody's torn and conflicted. True. Yeah. The Justice League will be in a room together and they'll all be Batman. That's basically what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're all about to be executed and one of them steps forward and says, I'm Batman. And no one steps forward <laughs> and says, I'm Batman. Um, it'd be like that, wouldn't it? Anyway, I think that draws to a close this, uh, this, this conversational piece. We, we're going to go over to the uh, interview now with uh, Christopher Butler. Um, so thanks, guys, for joining me on this. Oh, you're welcome. Now it's over to our interview. <laughs> I'd like us to try something new today. We're sinking deeper and deeper into a sleep too. The sun is just dangling above the horizon. I think something is wrong. There's lots of blood. You're going to hear my voice only, and you're going to wake up. Basha, can you hear me? This is not real. <laughs> it's like when you, when you have a bad dream, and you can't remember what it was. Okay, I'd like to welcome a uh, you know film writer and producer uh, director Christopher Butler to the show. How are you doing, Christopher? You know we're we're going to be talking about your your new film in a bit, uh, Scorpio Effect. Um, but you know, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Um, it's been a good week as you know, the film went on DVD sale this week on Monday, uh, major supermarkets and Amazon, and it's um, it's doing quite well and being quite well received by critics. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, a good week, good week so far. Mm. Well, from what I've read, it seems like you you actually started your career in advertising. Um, so I'm, I'd just like to get a bit of background. How did you go from advertising to sort of like, you know, transitioning from that into writing and directing your own films? Um, it was it was difficult. Um, weirdly, it's. Well, I started off as a window cleaner, my first job, and then back in <laughs> Liverpool, and then I moved to London to work as an advertising creative. I spent nine years as an advertising creative, working on everything from posters, you know, billboards, bus stops, uh, TV commercials, radio commercials, online content, everything, until um, I just it just didn't feel like a very creative job anymore. The job evolved over the years. I started off my advertising career writing headlines for posters, and by the end of it, I was like writing tweets and stuff like that. So it just wasn't the same. It wasn't storytelling anymore. So. I remember thinking, well, I've you know worked in TV commercials. That, that's that's production. And I'll use those contacts and move into film because um, I'd always wanted to make a feature film. It's, you know, I mean, who doesn't? Um, but I found <clears throat> disheartening it was was that anyone I spoke to in commercial film companies didn't want to know. It's just a completely different industry. Um, so I, I so the way I made the transition eventually was was I started writing the Scopia effect. And it was starting to clash with the day job, the, the, the advertising career, which can be all-consuming. 
And because I decided at the time, well, you know, I haven't got a mortgage and I haven't got kids and I haven't got anything to lose. Really, if I don't do this now, then I can never do it. So I just literally quit my job. Um, right. I quit my, after nine years, I, on the same day, I quit my job. Uh, I called up my landlord and, and quit, you know, handed my notice on my flat in Clapham at the time. And I, and, and literally that, that week, I just, I just left everything. Um, I moved back into my mum's house in Liverpool to finish writing my script and then find ways of making a film. And so, and that's how I did it. I just uprooted, I just, I just left everything and I burnt every bridge so I couldn't get back because I knew how difficult it was going to get. And that was it. And that was terrifying. And I finished writing the script and I started making phone calls and reaching out to people. And me and the producer teamed up. And it just it just grew from there. And then that went on for three and a half years, which is how long it took to finally film the movie. So there was no there was no transition, career transition. And I'm not one of those people that says, oh, I just kind of fell into it. I hate those people. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. Um, I just, I just, I just um, amputated everything that was in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. I decided to do those. I fired my girlfriend. <laughs> everything I just said, I'll, I'll give myself to this for the next year or so and see what happens. Yeah, um, you know the thing thing is about those people that say I just fell into it. They they they've usually not just fallen into it. They just say that so it, because they kind of think it sounds cool. Maybe I think that's it. No one ever really tells you when you say to people, "How did you get from that to that?" And they go, oh, you know, I was spoke to so-and-so and we had a meeting and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there, there, you know, there's a story there. I don't know why people never want to tell it. But the truth is I just left. <laughs> and I spent a long time, you know, clawing my way into what I wanted to do. You know, film's difficult if you work in the film industry. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just, you know, know that... You want it enough to suffer and to give up every, all your comforts and you know, your career, anything like that. And as long as you understand that and you know you want it enough, then you know you won't regret doing that. Yeah, and you, you, it's a lot of hard graft. Yeah, I always say what you, what you lack in budget, you make up for in blood, sweat, and tears, <coughs> and, and, ulcers, and know, imagination. Yeah, and imagination. If you oh, don't, yeah. if you don't have a budget, this... everything is a creative challenge. It's, you know, we can't mm. afford a lamp. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get creative. How can we get hold of a lamp? You know, we can't afford to film scenes set in ancient Japan. Okay, let's get creative. How can we get the illusion of ancient Japan mm-hmm. within living Greater London? Mm-hmm. So um, everything, <laughs> everything is a creative challenge to think around corners and, 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 and uh, eventually you figure it out. And all, all of that stuff's in the movie as well. You know, just just for those yeah. that, that that are listening. Um, you know that that are not familiar with the film. You know, you 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 did film um, in ancient Japan. You know, yeah, no, not it, well, um, not literally, but uh, you made it look like you filmed in ancient Japan. Yeah, yeah, it looks completely authentic. Um, the scene set in ancient Japan. Um, we wanted to go out there, but it just wasn't realistic. So um, they were filmed in Peckham <laughs> in the end. And uh, believe it or not, there's a Japanese garden in Peckham. Uh, which is which is good because it has the kind of plant life and vegetation, which is accurate to Japan. But um, you know, it's it's about as well kept as Peckham, so, so it, was, it had that level of authenticity. A lot of Japanese gardens are very well manicured and, and looked after. Um, and you know, we we arranged for someone out in Japan to go out into the mountains. Someone who a DOP who lived in Japan near the mountain range that we wanted for the for the scenery <coughs> to go out and film. 
yeah, the mountainous vistas and the forests and the stuff like that that we needed. And, you know, there's a lot of communication over Skype, as we all know, of, um, to exchange details and specifications on cameras and lenses so that the shots marry up perfectly when you get into post-production. But yeah, it just took a long time, a lot of hard work, because mm-hmm. even though you've got limitations and restrictions, it doesn't mean you can start to sacrifice quality. You still have to, you know, you still have to sit in a room of this one day on a big screen surrounded by an audience. So, you know, it has to look believable. Yeah. The scope of your effects, you know, it, it deals, you know, considering it's your first movie, it deals with a pretty heavy subject in terms of uh, regressive hypnotherapy and past lives and such. Uh, what inspired you to do a horror film based on this? And what was it about the whole subject that actually hooked you in creatively? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd always wanted to make, uh, always knew if, if I made a feature film, it would have to be about something that I hadn't really seen before. Um, you know, and if it was so, so a horror film, I wanted an, an angle on horror or at least an angle on storytelling. Um, the reincarnation theme was just one of the kind of many things that I kind of find interesting. Um, I'm the kind of person who will sit there all day on you know Discovery channels watching things about Bigfoot or aliens cool. <laughs> or supernatural <laughs> or you know quantum physics and all, yeah. you know multiple dimensions and reincarnation was something that kind of felt amongst those um, categories and reincarnation in terms of you know not thinking the universe can be created nor destroyed. So, you know, when, when uh, <clears throat> if you team up with a producer and they say to you, right, we need a script, it's, it's a chance to write about something. And one of your probably only chances to write about something that you are genuinely into and you just really find interesting. So I thought I thought um, I could have happily made a film about, you know, parallel universes and multiple dimensions and all those things. But um, at the time, for some reason or other, this reincarnation idea was at the front of my mind. And I thought... What an amazing premise for storytelling, uh, which opens up a big challenge because it was just an idea of how to tell stories. Technically, it means you can tell any story ever in the history of time by by anyone. So there's still a lot of thinking and writing to do to write the individual stories. So I just um, I just loved it as a challenge, and I thought this is so exciting, this, and I, I don't think I've seen it, and I get to do this now, and I want to do it before anybody else does it. And I'm going to go and think of all these different stories from different periods of time mm-hmm. that, that I can then, you know, intertwine into, into one tapestry of a you know, chaotic film. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think I'd actually seen anything quite like like this in terms of uh, something that dealt with reincarnation and regressive hypnotherapy and past lives and such. I mean, obviously, like yourself, um, I, I kind of like watching history and Discovery Channel. And stuff like that when I'm not watching, you know, the science fiction and fantasy stuff and my diet of the Flash and Arrow and all that stuff. I can't like watching mm-hmm. the Discovery Channel and um, and stuff like that. And I'd actually seen documentaries about people talking about past life regressive hypnotherapy, people that have actually underwent it. And hell, I think the BBC did 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 a did a run a did a ship brief series in the nineties. You know that that that's all yeah. I could have covered it, but I'd never actually seen it. You know, bought bought to life in 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 song like a film. You know, telling telling a story, sort of thing. Yeah, I I, I had a moment when I was uh, I think we, we just started uh, the production of, of the Scorpio Effect, and I read on IMDb about they'd announced Cloud Atlas, and I read just you know the concept and the breakdown. And I saw this kind of like, you know, multiple lives idea. My heart sank. I was like, oh no, 
you know, we've been beaten to it by the Wachowskis and, and they've got a lot more money and they're going to get there before me. And then, um, so that's when I thought, oh, no, you know, if you, if you set on a, embark on a journey like this with not much money, who knows how long it's going to take you to finish it. Mm. And there's that fear that, well, someone's going to do it within that time because, you know, good ideas kind of, once they release into the cosmos, someone's going to do it at some point if you hang around too long. So when I saw the, the Cloud Atlas movie come out, I was I was terrified because I thought maybe it's the same thing. Um, I still haven't watched it. I still won't watch it. But uh, everyone, like, people watched it and said, uh, oh, no, it's completely different. It's a very different kind mm-hmm. of movie. But it does tap into a similar theme. Um, but, as yeah, I mean, as, as a horror film, as as <laughs> something that goes wrong, I mean, we position the film as reincarnation going wrong. You know, it, it's a glitch in reality. It, it's where all the previous lives um, start to spill into the present, and and that's when it, and that's why it kind of becomes sci-fi because it's mm. different time periods with with a, with a kind of a tear across them all, and they all start to leak into each other. So I think that bit is still safe. I think that bit is still mine for now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you're not the only person that's not seen Cloud Atmos yet. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, because I, I've not seen it yet. Um, I keep meaning to because he actually interviewed one of the uh, one of the people that did the uh, music score for it a few years back. Oh wow. Um, yeah. But it's like it's one film I've not got around to yet. Uh, basically, because it's about three hours long. Yeah, you need to be in the mood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's on. It's on the list. It, it it's definitely on the list of, of films I, that I that I plan to sort of try and watch at some point, but. You know, A, you've got to have time to do it, and B, B, B you've got to be in a mood, <laughs> as, as you say. Uh, how much research in, into into um, regressive hypnotherapy and, and past lives did you actually do for the film? Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't do that much research into, weirdly, into um, regression therapy. I did research into therapy and hypnosis, mm-hmm. or, or therapy through hypnosis through therapy, rather. Um and then separately from that was you, know, you kind of have to do your, your history of, of time and time periods, and it was it was an unusual process because obviously there's a lot of kind of death and trauma throughout the Scorpio effect. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing research on you know just it was quite dark and sinister, but a lot of fun to like well how do people die in the olden days in Japan or in India or you know 16th century 17th century. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of information to wade through to, to find your nuggets about what you're going to write about. But most of the time, it, it was amazing that it, you know most periods and centuries in the past, the biggest cause of death was murder. So you, <laughs> the, you were most likely to die by being killed by someone else, um, and it makes you realise how you know how, how, how safe we are, and well, in certain countries in the world, and, and you know the time that we live in now, because it's quite dark. Um, so I spent a lot of time researching death, death in um, previous centuries in different parts of the world, um, and the rest of the rest of the inspiration for the film became, I guess, comes from you. You have to write what you know to an extent you know, from mm-hmm. my own life and things that I've seen, and people that I've known, because the central the central core of the film is is the present day. All these different time periods overlap and start to bombard, and the lead actress, the, the lead characters. Um, life in the present day so the mm-hmm. present day is based on you know you write it, wrote it like a kitchen sink drama researched um, death misery from, from history and um they quite a lot of research into hypnosis and hypnotic therapy as well uh, 
And one thing I did do in the research is when people talk about past life regression and reincarnation, they, they always seem, seem to come back as, oh, I was, I was Cleopatra or I was, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the knights of the round table or something. And I wanted to, all my research was on peasants because most people that have ever lived like myself now, I've been a peasant in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I researched it based on the statistics. If you were to pluck out six random people from the whole history of time and how they died, um, and that's how I kind of like led my research. Because you, you need a bit of a, a rudder when you research something like that, or it could come on forever. Yeah, true, and it's not realistic, um, you know, claiming to have been one of the nights at the round table. For example, exactly. I, I just want you know. I just I, I like I like the kind of everydayness of it. A lot of the time in the Scopia effect, we flash back to ancient Japan or India and to not very much happening, you know. But and and that was very intentional because I thought if you did just flash back to a random moment in anyone's life and the history of time, they'd probably be doing something pretty mundane mm-hmm. or or unpleasant. Um, but in, 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 in the scope here, in fact, we use those moments to obviously establish characters in quite a subtle way. Um, so, yeah, I tried to, you know, use all these non-spectacular moments from history to weave into something that's quite uh, powerful and incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you find your lead actress? Because she did incredibly well. Yeah, uh, the old-fashioned way, I guess, we just started to post ads um, looking for a... Uh, for a lead actress, a lead talent, um, you know, when, when you post an ad for, um, you know, a young uh, a young girl of the age group for actress for a feature film, then you, you do get bombarded, and understandably so. So there was a lot of applicants, um, and I, I always I always knew I didn't want to cast someone who's like a typical um, chick in a horror film, uh-huh. because you know, because you can tell as well because you, when you see a kind of horror movie chick. They usually fight back at some point, and you're expecting them to fight back. And it's like, wow, would you like to fight like that? <laughs> and that kind of thing. And I wanted to avoid that. I wanted to find someone believable, um, likable, gentle, and vulnerable without without being cliche or pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of auditions, lots of castings, and then Joanna Ignacheska applied for the role. It was initially the, the, the least likely to get to, to suit the bill. Um, and, I, and I kind of I liked her so much based on just her natural, you know, her natural characteristics and her behaviours. Um, kind of in between reads for the auditions, that I I, I ended up completely um, rewriting the character to make her Polish. And mm-hmm. I remember it got down to the final two, and one the other girl was the antithesis of, of Joanna. And, uh, and, I, and I didn't know what to do. Like, do I play it safe or do I, I take the risky one? And, you know. Um, have something more ownable and unique and I, and I called my dad just before I made the final choice and I sent him the show reel, um, the show reels and the audition tapes and, uh, and my dad said oh the blonde one definitely mm-hmm. and I said why and my dad's a factory worker from Liverpool you know and we, we, we both love films and he said oh well it's a bit different isn't it you know I'm used to seeing the other one all the time sick and tired of it something new and so I just knew there and then I thought well my dad's saying that you know <laughs> He's my audience, you know, he's, he's the film goer, he likes films always, has got me into films when I was a kid, and um, so I made the choice there and, and there and then, and I'm, and I'm glad I did, because everyone comments on it, how how well she's done, how believable she is, you know, how traumatic it is when to see her suffering, 
and, and how unique a character she is. She, she's not like a chick in a horror movie, which is which is nice. You know, it's good. And mm. That's really what I wanted to do. Yeah, I've got a feeling she's going to be one to watch in the future. You know, because she she song like she she acted her pants off in that in that film. Yeah, she throws herself into it. There was lots of method. I mean, it's all it's all method. Mm. Um, we went through a lot of dark times in order because you can't really fake it on camera. You know, it's for you know the audience know when it's not real. And we had methods of, um, you know, we, we spent time, a lot of time rehearsing, but not rehearsing the script. The script was quite loose. It, we'd spend time um, trying to t- develop methods. So we'd find out what we'd, disc- we'd explore what are Joanna's actual phobias in real life. Mm-hmm. And we'd find ways of bringing them to life so that she was genuinely terrified. Um, and on set, you know, she'd have her iPod with happy music. And if she ever got too upset or emotional or, or fell apart, she'd put her iTunes on and that would bring her back, back to reality and calm her down. And then we go again. So it became a bit, mm-hmm. it became quite heavy at times and um, screaming and suffering for the sake of the camera uh, every day. But yeah, she threw herself into it. You know, good, good actors are fearless like that. They, they don't pretend to be someone. They'll actually put themselves into it, uh, genuinely harm and upset themselves all because they too wanted to be believable, mm-hmm. you know, when, when the audience sits there and watches it. Yeah. One thing that impressed me about, about the film was that, you know, it didn't really look like an indie movie, you know. it You know, obviously you didn't have any big name matters involved. Uh, you was on a tight budget. Um, but it, so for all intents and purposes, it actually looked like, um, you know, it looked, you know, as, as well put together and as well... And as well edited and and um, and and whatnot as as um, you know pretty much most films out there. Yeah, I mean a lot of people say um, people are very surprised at the aesthetic of the film and, and you know, the, 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 it looks big budget. It, look, it looks much bigger budget than it is. It pushes way above its weight, and that and again that's just what you like in budget. You make up for in blood, sweat, and tears. Um, I, I've personally never been a fan of kind of British indie film. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not true. There's, there's some amazing ones, but I don't. You know, I, I didn't aspire to make a film in that in that genre. Really, I like my foreign cinema, you know, the French cinema, and I like my American films. Um, so you know, it, it's and I guess this is a bit of the advertising background because I used to be an art director and a designer. So every shot is knowing what your limitations are, what lights you've got to work with, what set you've got to work with. But what um, what a lot of indie indie films on a budget seem to miss out is 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 the is the director's process, which is every, every scene is an opportunity to break down what's this what a what happens in the scene, um, how do I want the audience to feel from watching the scene, and therefore what methods can I employ or do I have, have at my disposal to make that effective. And so you, you consider every shot, you compose every shot, and you light every shot. And if there's something you're missing because you just haven't got the budget and you think of something else, a way of making that shot a bit more artistic, a bit more aesthetically pleasing, just a bit better. If you can't afford to light the wide shot, rethink it so you can do it in a close-up because you've got enough light mm-hmm. in which to do so. So it just takes a lot of consideration. You know, hardly any money at all into making the Scopia effect. Um, and when it got it got screened at the British Horror Film Festival and uh, just on completion at the Empire in Leicester Square, and the film's made for the big screen in the theatre, and it won it won the award for best cinematography. Wow! Because it, it looks so good. So it's just um, um, it, 
it's it's a it's a it's a very simple method that I use. I just really consider everything. And another another thing that people have said, people have said to me, and this astounds me. They say, "Oh, it doesn't look low budget because the acting is really good," and that baffles me because no matter what your budget is, it doesn't cost any more money to act better for the actors to genuinely be more upset or for the action to be more high octane or for people to throw themselves into a role. I'm saying, yeah, that, that's not where the money goes. You know, if you're patient and you spend time with the actors rehearsing, getting the characters believable, getting the performances authentic, um, once the camera's rolling, whatever that camera costs, the acting's still got to be good. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is oh, some people are misled by the budget because the action is so considered. It's what you put the camera at. And always make sure that what you put the camera at is, is doing its job. And every scene has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and these, these are the things that very seasoned film directors know about and the techniques they employ, and it makes it feel bigger budget because they're not people with access to cameras and kits. They're, they're film directors, you know, they're, they're seasoned storytellers. And it's all those it's all those tiny details that make up that make it feel bigger budget than it really is. Mm-hmm. And also another another huge thing on um, post production, we, we spent three and a half years you know of sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears, beg, borrowing, and stealing to get this film finally filmed. And after three and a half years, we limped over the finish line with about eight terabytes of data. Wow! And you know we needed to go to post production. You know we're editing everything. You know you 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 start the whole process again once you've filmed. Um, and we, we attracted talent from across the pond. We had Dean Gonzalez over at um, Beast Studios, now based in Chicago, and he contacted us. He saw a trailer that I did on um, Kickstarter. He was like, "This movie looks so good. I've always wanted to edit a film like this." And he does quite, you know, big, high-profile music videos and stuff like that. Wow. He used to be based over in LA. I was like, "Well, when it's finished, I like, know." Um, we stayed in touch. And then he took on, him and the company he worked for took on the edit um, on a kind of um, a deferment basis, but a very much a gentleman's agreement that they wanted to do this film. And Dean Gonzalez, the head, the head editor, and, and a, again, a, a very experienced, seasoned editor. It takes seven years at least to become a good editor. Um, and two assistant editors and a whole studio for the editing. While he was editing, the guys from Method Studios, Method Studios are huge, they do most of the Hollywood special effects, walked past his studio and saw and saw it on, on his um, big monitor and said, hey, what's that? That looks cool. And Dean said, oh, it's, um, it's a movie by a guy over in London. It's got no money. It's just a thing that I'm doing. And, oh, I want a piece of that. That sounds good. We had a Skype with them. That turned out to be um, Gil Barron and Ryan Urban of, at the time, Method Studios. And, and they do like the Wachowski Brothers films and Jupiter Ascending and The Ring, The Matrix. Oh, wow. So they're a good VFX team. And they came in and said, we just, we like the story behind the making of this film. You know, we like you. We like that, you know, I never tried to give, I said, they said, you have any money for expenses? I said, I, I said guys, a day of your lunches, a day's filming for us. You know, we haven't got any money, but if you want to help out, it's awesome. But we're not trying to exploit it. Just be very much appreciated. You know, we're a small fish. And you, mm. you know, you did, <laughs> like, Man of Steel or whatever. And um, they came back and they said, yeah, we like this. And we like we like your story. And we've got the green lights and we're going to do it. So they did all the VFX. So we had editing VFX. They moved the production over to Chicago. I went over there for the two trips. Off the back of that, Sound Studio stepped in and did Scopia's full Foley, five foot one surround sound. Uh, Company Three stepped in, um, and they again they do all the color grading for the big Hollywood feature films. 
Chicago's top colorist. Uh, Tyler Rothstep turned it dark color grade in his Da Vinci suite out in Chicago. And um, and yeah, so the final film is designed for cinema and the big screen. It's you know 5K resolution, 5.1 surround sound. Um, couldn't have had better post production facilities, and that and that all comes from putting yourself out there for three years, spreading the word. You know, I've got this project that I love. There's a film I'm trying to make, and it's a story that I'm trying to tell in a way that people don't usually tell stories in films. And love it or hate it, it's going to be a little bit different. And and that story was what spread, and that's how we managed to get good cinematographers, professional mm. set designers, to work for not very much money because. Yeah. If you find good talent, want to work on good projects, and if you convince them that you're not an idiot and you know what you're doing, um, then then you can pull together as a as a creative collective and make something that looks really professional. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry for the long-winded answer on that, but <laughs> that's, no, it's, it's actually that's um, what to make it good look. you know, you saw like it was a long-winded question. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's over three and a half years, that's what went into making the film look the way it does. Well, you know, it, it looks awesome, you know, from, from, from someone. And, and I was just watching it. I wasn't really doing it any justice when I watched it. I was actually watching it on my. Um, on, on my um, my Chromebook, yeah, so the picture resolution on the Chromebook isn't great, great, yeah. sort of thing. Um, she tried it, she tried it at 4K. It's awesome. Yeah, well, I've, I've actually got. <laughs> I've actually got a Blu-ray player and and um, a HD television here, but unfortunately, um, my my you know with with me having been sent the film digitally, I wasn't able to sort like, hook up to that. So it had to be the Chromebook, know, or <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's it's seen as powerful in standard definition, so it's a good it's a good test. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I can see, you've got a few other movie projects in the works at the moment. Um, you know, one one's a documentary, and the other's um, another horror project. Uh, what can you tell us about these? Very, very, very top line. Documentary is something that I'm involved in. That's a really good cause, actually. It's Emergency. It's a charity's name. They're an Italian charity, and they do a lot of good work setting up hospitals in war-torn countries and some of the. Some of the some of the most horrendous places in the world. Um, so, producer that I know has asked me to step in as one of the directors. It's it's early days of the project. Um, I think I think they just they start filming this year, and there's quite a quite a bit of talent attached to it, and there's some big name of talent attached to it as well. There's an Oscar-winning director, and there's some big DOPs, and there's a big guy, famous name, doing the film score and stuff like that. But I think it's it's one of these. Um, people who have been invited in to do something good. It's a good cause, uh, which mm-hmm. is a nice change from, you know, sci-fi feature. Um, so that's that. That's all I can say about that, really. Yeah, well, you don't want the, to the say... Horror, the horror film. Yeah, I can't say... I'm not really... I don't, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. That yeah, one. Um, you don't really want to say... Who these, you don't want to say who these people Check are it. in case you jinx it, sort of thing. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they, they control what they announce to press and stuff, so um, so I should be briefed, really, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, the, but back to movies, the uh, I think on my IMDb, there's a, a film with the working title of Storm. That's one. Storm yeah. is, yeah, there's, okay, cool, that's on there. Um, there's, you know, the Scopia effect is existential, it, it, it's, it's multi-layered, it's, it's high concept, it's full of meanings and... And um, and so I wanted a bit of a creative detox. So Storm is a, is a classic gothic 80s style demon horror film. 
and it's it's just it's a good popcorn film and it's and it's basically it's about two girls um who decide to stay in their apartment during hurricane sandy and it's set during the blackout in manhattan in east village in manhattan during hurricane sandy and the electricity of the storm awakens this dark depraved demonic entity inside their apartment so They've got this conundrum of, you know, is it outside to face the storm or stay inside with this horrible demon in the middle of a dark power cut? So that's, that's, I'm having fun. Uh, well, I had fun writing that one and, uh, and that's being optioned as a script. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good one to have in your back pocket because I'd like to see that get made because it would be a good bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another one that I'm pushing this year, um, which I've just written called, it's under a working title of Anomaly, and that's pure sci-fi. And that is, um, it's based it's based on two astronauts that uh, leave Earth forever unintentionally and go off on basically a, a kind of a, a mind-bending psychedelic trip based around quantum experiments to try and change their reality. And that's one that I'm really excited about. And that's um, that's one that's really going to excite any any fans of black holes, the cosmos, mm. the Large Hadron Collider. It's all based on quantum physics, and it's, it's sounds really, a bit like it's uh, really cool. Sounds a bit like something. It's good. It's, it's, sounds it's a bit good. Like... It's been interesting. Mm-hmm. A few people on board in this. I'm just, again, I won't go into details, but um, there's a team in place for that one now, which I'm really excited about. Sounds a little bit some, like something that Christopher Nolan would probably do. You know, like uh, yeah, he did in the it's it's been it's been mentioned because it, I mean Interstellar was an attempt, and I think a good attempt to to bring in quantum physics and, and wrap a very human story mm. around it. So definitely within that ilk, mm-hmm. it's a bit more geeky. I'd say it was even more nerdy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I think I think you'd be hard pushed to get nerdier than Christopher Nolan. <laughs> you know, some sure, actually, <laughs> you know, you know, so that's like the, uh, that's the challenge to out nerd Nolan. That is that is my challenge now. Yeah. That's it. Actually, that, that's that's actually a good working title for a film. Out nerd Nolan. <laughs> out nerd Nolan, yeah, Nolan out nerded. <laughs> that's that, that was the working title now. Mm. The Nominator. Sorry, that's just that's just tacky. <laughs> um, as a filmmaker, um, you know, who, who out of other well-known movie directors and producers would you say have had? Uh, the most uh, influence on you from a creative point point of view, and and that's just sort of like assume that you're going to say Christopher Nolan, so you can so you can answer with something else. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say actually, I wouldn't say Nolan because most of my influence comes from when I was younger. Stanley Kubrick, obviously, you know, I first watched 2001 with my dad when I was 11, mm-hmm. and I was a weird kid, so I loved it. Um, David Lynch. Because again, something he makes these films that just have this sense of a dark energy that seems to get inside you and infect you for a few days after watching his films. Um, Werner Herzog, just because I think he's freaking awesome, and he he makes film. He 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 is an ambassador for brave filmmaking. Reminds you that you need to be brave to make the films that are going to surprise or impress anyone. My, my, the, the director that made me decide I wanted to make films was, uh, people are surprised by this, but Harmony Kareem. 
I, I first I saw Gummo years ago, and then I saw a film called Julian Donkey Boy, and I and it was shot on camcorder, and it was it was dark and messed up, and it, and it was abstract, and the timeline was messed up, and the characters are insane, but I just loved it, and I thought that's what that's what storytelling should be, it should be mm-hmm. something that just you know, it takes you somewhere you've never been before. And, you know, by the end of that film, I changed. I think that's what a, a really classic film does. And then my other main influences are, I'm a bit of a geek, so, you know, um, I'm a big fan of anime and manga. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Akira, Evangelion, mm-hmm. and Hay- Hayao Miyazaki, obviously, for the, um, the more, you know, light-hearted family versions of anime. And nineties 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 anime and manga like Ninja Scroll, mm-hmm. Wicked City, you know, just uh, Cyber City, just yeah, I, I love all that. I mean, I think I think you know um, Japanese storytelling you know, and, and anime is. Ju- I just think it's always been streets ahead of Western storytelling, just from the sheer imagination mm-hmm. and the creativity mm-hmm. involved. So I think. I don't think I'm the only. I think there's probably a lot of directors that do look to that part of the world for inspiration right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I literally I watch I watch Jack Schneider films and I just tick off the references as I go and I love it. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean I'm not um, I'm not really a big anime fan, but I have seen a few yeah. anime films because Channel Four did a season of them years back. Um, yeah, you know, I've seen seen a few of them. And um, I'm familiar with the history of it a little bit because it was like um, it came about in Japan after the Second World War. Um, budgets were tight, so so they sort of like went went into producing animated movies in, as a, as a means to sort of like mm. sort of like produce you know decent stories, but you know, um, but but on 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 a tight budget. Yeah, you know that's that's. Oh, cool. like... So they basically it was animatic versions of comic books, mm-hmm. which is. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, this is why it's why it's such a good discipline. Um, it's all directed so well, everything's so composed. Like I say, the way I make films, every shot's composed, considered, and got something quite creative about it. You know, it's just, it's got the cool factor. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love, I love the, uh, I love the Japanese art. You know, the how they got, you know, the characters have got massive, big, expressive eyes and and stuff like that. I just think it's, um, oh, it's, yeah. it's just beautiful to look at. Um, yeah. Point of view. But I actually have I actually have trouble with uh, with movies that have subtitles simply put simply because I'm dyslexic, so I find it difficult to follow mm. sort of thing. So and I, I, mean, I'm, I mean I'm not dyslexic, I'm just a bit dumb. I have a reading age of about twelve. Um I, I do find I, sometimes I miss half the film whilst trying to read what they say. Um, so yeah, I have to have the pause button on standby. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, that's the way I that's why I have to watch it, you know. And and because of that, I don't really enjoy it as much because you're having to pause and you kind of lose momentum and stuff like that. So more yeah, more often, it gets to an action scene. I just I just stop reading. <laughs> I just want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so more more often than not, I wind up trying to find the uh, the English dub version, <laughs> which is just quite funny to watch because everything's yeah, out of sync. I do that myself with animation. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, cheers, Christopher, for your time. It's been great having you on the show. Best of luck with a uh, Scopier effect, and uh, may- maybe we can have you back on. So, like, if if uh, if Storm gets made and and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in, just in, stay in touch. In um, thanks for having me on. You know, it's always nice to talk about my stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I'll keep you posted on the next film. Hi, this is Tom O'Pennicott, and you're listening to the SFP Now podcast. 
And that's about all we have time for this week. Um, as ever, I'd like to thank both Racer and uh, Craig for joining us. And I'd like to um, also confirm right now um, the conversation we had earlier um, in you know with with uh, between Craig and myself. We've actually just confirmed uh, the interview with Rob Hayter, so that's actually going to be coming up in the next week or two. So look out for that one. Um, if you're a fan of Deadpool, you're probably going to enjoy it. And, you know, if you're a fan of sci-fi, you'll enjoy it because um, Rob's done the stunts for quite a few well-known uh, science fiction franchises and movies. Um, so I'm pretty sure he's going to have a lot of interesting stories to tell. Um, but that's about all we have time for this week. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us and um, catch us next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.